We know the impacts of the climate crisis largely fall on those who contribute the least to it, black, brown, and indigenous communities. We also know that we need to reach net zero carbon emissions fast. The time is now for courageous business leadership to help create a future that serves people, especially those most vulnerable, and the planet. Hi, I'm Isaac Graves, and this week on the Just and Sustainable Economy podcast, we have two conversations on these very issues that will identify tangible actions that both businesses and individuals can do to address the devastating impacts of climate change on our communities and biosphere by putting people and equity at the center. Before we dive into the episode, I invite you to participate in ASBN's current policy and advocacy work by joining our Climate and Energy Working Group. To join, email the Director of Climate and Energy Policy, Michael Green, at mgreen at asbnetwork.org to learn more. Today is our second conversation in the series, Centering Climate Justice and Climate Action, with Dr. Alonda Williams, B-Lab, Kevin Lee, Dr. Bronners, Valerie Redhorse Mole, East Bay Community Foundation and ASBN's board co-chair, moderated by intersectional environmentalist Deandra Marizette. Deandra. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to our chat today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about having this very important discussion around centering climate justice. Again, my name is Deandra. My pronouns are she, hers. And today I'm calling in um, to build community with all of you from Akokisa land, otherwise known as Woodlands, Texas. Shout out to anyone from the South. And I'm so happy to be building community amongst all of our speakers and attendees today. And I would love to just take a moment to acknowledge that this is a very special Earth Day, one in which we're making a lot of space for things like anger and joy and accountability and justice together in a way that we really never have before. And years from now, some of you are going to recall changes both big and small that you were able to help bolster because of the voices that you listened to really intentionally, the voices that you amplified and hopefully worked alongside. Building community together the way that we are today is how we're going to create a future in which climate justice is at the forefront of both our personal and our business's environmental advocacy. So over the next hour, we're going to be hearing from some incredible folks who are here to share their wisdoms and learnings with us. And we invite you all to use the chat as a vehicle for connection today. Introduce yourselves, acknowledge the native lands that you're calling in from. And if you've learned how to identify how to do that, if you're not sure how to do that, you can check out the Native Land app. And I think our lovely tech support today can probably drop that link in to help you out there. Please share your pronouns, use your video camera if you're able. And don't be shy. Don't be shy to engage with us today because this is our time to unpack and build together. So to start, I'm going to invite our panelists, our wonderful panelists, to introduce themselves. So panelists, please share with us your name, your pronouns, and the work that you're proud to be doing today. And we'll kick off with Val. Good morning, and thank you for everyone being here today. I'm excited about Earth Day. I'm excited to be here. Um, I personally sit on the lands of the Muwekma Ohlone people in Northern California in the Bay Area. I myself am of Cherokee ancestry and just couldn't be, couldn't be uh, more delighted to spend uh, the beginning of my Earth Day here with all of you. Um, I, as a way of introduction, I wear many hats. I'm the current CFO of East Bay Community Foundation, where I'm working to uh, reach 100% mission alignment with our portfolio investments, including racial equity and climate. Um, I'm the former executive director of Social Venture Circle. I'm a current board member on ASBC, and um, I also teach uh, part-time at Stanford focused on these types of issues. So again, wearing many hats, but ultimately just delighted to be here. Thank you so much, Val. We're so happy to have you. And Kevin, if you could introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Deandra, and happy Earth Day, everyone, and good morning. My name is Kevin Lee, and my pronouns are he, him, and I am here representing Dr. Bronner's today. I'm calling in from northern San Diego County and the traditional territory and homelands of the Kumeyaay Luiseno people. Um, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Bronner's is the top-selling natural brand of soap in North America. Our products are organic, fair trade most recently regenerative organic certified. 
And at Dr. Bronner's, I track our environmental footprint and co-chair our company's green team. Amazing. Thank you both for introducing all the incredible work that you're doing. Um, and again, my name for everyone here is Deandra. My pronouns are she, hers. And just to share a little bit about myself um, and why I'm really excited to be able to participate, uh, I'm the co-founder of Intersectional Environmentalist. Uh, we are a media and resource hub and community platform of over 300,000 activists and advocates who are working together to center those who are most vulnerable to the climate crisis and really ensuring that we're doing the important work of shifting the narrative of the environmental movement um, to one that has been so, or from one that has been so historically white-led to one that can really amplify voices that have been unheard for so long and hopefully work towards things like inclusive um, community-based solutions, place-based systems. And we do this by empowering the next generation with educational resources, empowering our community leaders to share their wisdoms. And we work alongside businesses to ensure that our communications are protecting the very important narrative around our initiatives so that we can truly push for action, change, and progress. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about progress and change and how we can work collectively towards it. Um, so I would love to kick off with just a few questions to get us started for both Kevin and Val. So please feel free to chime in as you as you would like. Um, you know, over the last 12 months and really even the past two days, it's brought on, you know, so many sacred emotions to the forefront of these conversations. And I would love to hear from you both on about what events have made it crystal clear to, you know, our wider communities, particularly people who aren't so heavily immersed in these conversations all the time that we not only need to turn this climate emergency around, but that we also need to recognize how some groups are being disproportionately impacted right now by way of intentional design. I'm happy to start. Um, so it's, it's an interesting question right now, uh, Deandra, in that I have a, a strong connection to Minnesota through my work with tribal nations. And I also have a family connection in that both of my older brothers who are quite a bit older than I am, um, actually launched and were part of the original group that launched the American Indian movement in the Minnesota area in the 1960s, which was actually directed as a protest against police brutality towards native Americans in the sixties. Um, so if we fast forward, you know, not a lot had changed. And it's a super important time right now to be able to use this to hopefully really break down uh, some systems that need, need this serious, serious change. Um, but as it relates to climate justice, what is so poignant to me is that climate justice, racial justice, gender equality, economic justice are all fused together. We cannot approach them in silos and we cannot think that they're separate topics. And just by way of one quick um, example, I worked for many, many years as an investment banker and financial advisor and advocate for tribes located in Minnesota. And uh, one particular community that was so um, challenging for me was a community um, located on an Ojibwe reservation in a rural part of Minnesota, where most of the people were suffering from severe disabilities because the land had been poisoned and contaminated, including the water, because of a paper mill that had been there in um, the 60s. And it had been uh, declared a Superfund site, but nothing had ever been done, literally nothing. There was no ability to market or have their voice heard. And I tried to help. I was asked to help with economic development. And what I realized is when people are suffering from climate injustice, which means uh, mental health issues, it meant um, disability issues. Uh, one of my dear friends has a brain tumor because of this. I mean, this is a very serious topic, I understand. And I don't want to start with negative energy, but I'm, I, it's so important to me that we realize it's all connected. And the, the attitudes and the systems, um, and I'm using Minnesota as an example, but it, it exists everywhere. And so the more that we can focus on work that uh, focuses on climate and economic justice and racial justice and looks at everything as a 
ecosystem, uh, the next economy, uh, to quote SVC, that, that is collaborative, um, then I think we'll, we'll find those real solutions moving forward that break down our systems and achieve the outcomes we need to achieve. I think Val put it so beautifully. And I'll just say that for some of us in the intersections of social justice with the environment and climate that Val pointed out, you know, we've always known, they've always been there. Um, I will say the difference perhaps in the last 12 months in general is that at least in the US, um, we are as a whole, we're having more conversations about social injustices in this country, of course. Um, the conversations around George Floyd's murder and the convictions of Derek Siobhan just earlier this week. Um, and of course, the last year we've had conversations about anti-Asian sentiments. So in general, like broader recognition of social injustices, racial injustices in this country. And of course, around the globe, we see that India farmers protests and now there's a spotlight on how access to land and food can directly affect people's livelihoods and there's an inequity between those who have power and those who who grow our foods and do the work to ensure that we are all able to live. Um, so I would say these conversations about social injustices are giving all of us a pause now and what I am seeing is that they're making their way into conversations about climate environment more so than before and um, we are now having more conversation that, conversations in the environmental space about how we center people, especially marginalized folks. And that is giving me some hope. Yeah, no, thank you both for that. I think that was wonderful. It's so important that we're able to acknowledge, you know, how systems outside of envir an environmental scope can, in fact, inhibit folks from having personal agency over their own environmental solutions. Val, as you were touching on, right, we have to look at police reform. We have to look at economic injustices and how deeply interconnected all of these things are. So I love that we were able to point that out. And then Kevin so beautifully displayed, you know, all of the important conversations that are being brought to the forefront of the conversation right now, which is so, so needed. And I wonder if, you know, pivoting, Kevin, you touched on hope a little bit. I wonder if pivoting to our next question, we could share just an example of climate action that we feel, whether it's big or small, I really think that we can kind of learn from whatever examples are near and dear to our hearts right now. An example of climate action that we feel is centering justice and equity, whether it's an initiative that your teams are working on or that you've seen elsewhere, would love to hear about that. Well, I guess I'll, I'll go again. We don't have to stay in this order, but um, I will jump in. This is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most important questions of the moment. Um, and it's not by accident that I'm here representing ASVC. I'm on their board and like you, you all know my connection to SVC and then I'm going to add B-Lab um, as a very important voice in this discussion. And what they all have in common is even though we are nonprofits, we're focused on business. And I think it's extremely important to be specific when we talk about solutions and examples of solutions um, just one data point that's important. Our global economy is about 87 trillion, give or take. <laughs> and um, most of that is generated by for-profit for -profit businesses. If we look at the amount of money um, that philanthropy and governments impact, it's very small in relation to the power of business. And so for me, the great examples right now that are with those three um, entities that I mentioned, even though they're nonprofits, they are also focused on elevating and educating uh, businesses. And ASBC has some very important initiatives around policy uh, related to business, around the uh, carbon footprint, and also around uh, more money into businesses. And so I would suggest anyone who's interested in those initiatives and how you can get involved with their advocacy, uh, go to their website um, and BLAB. Uh, B-Lab has a playbook on climate justice, and there was would not be time in this uh, session to talk about all the business examples that they list and they elevate, and it's great to see some work that can be replicated, because I think we need our role models to say, oh, did this program work, and what is it doing, and what are the metrics? So shout out to B-Lab, and I know Rose is on and Andy's on, so just thank you for that amazing work. And then finally, I would say when I was at SVC, I had the honor of interviewing um, 
uh, Aspiration Bank and getting to know Aspiration Bank. They're a member, I think, of all three of our organizations. And they have just a simple, small example, but they have a credit card and a debit card that every time you purchase anything, um, there is a, a carbon reduction. And so just, you know, we don't think about all the ways that um, might be looked at as small, um, but it has a great impact when we get the bandwidth. And so just to support a program like Aspiration Banks, I think is is very important. And a lot of people don't even know about it. And it, it's easy to switch or even just get another credit card. You don't have to switch from wherever you're banking if you're happy. Um, but again, I just think that it's all about the business and the influence of businesses globally that will make the difference. So many great examples and um, from, from folks doing on the ground work um, to nonprofits. And um, I think I will talk a little bit about Dr. Bronner's because I am inspired by my company's work. And I was going to share this example later, but might as well just do it now. And before I kind of like dive in, um, I think I want to share a brief history of Dr. Bronner's first, because I, I don't know if a lot of people know about the story about Dr. Bronner's. Um, so to begin, Emmanuel Bronner, or the Dr. Bronner, our founder, came from a family of soap makers in Germany. And Emmanuel Bronner moved to the United States in 1929. His parents remained in Germany at that time and eventually died in the Holocaust. Of course, when your parents die in a Nazi concentration camp, um, that has a profound impact on your life. So afterwards, um, Dr. Bronner started preaching his visions and views of all in connection and love pretty religiously and in public schools across the country. Uh, he initially handed out soaps to get people to come to listen to him, but people would just take the free soaps and, and leave. So he started then to print his views on the labels of the soap so that people would take his teachings wherever they went. Um, and I share the story because our company has always been more than about soaps. It's about spreading love and, and care for one another. And that's the legacy that we try to carry on today. It's why our labels are still busy with words. We've always had it on one on our labels. And we also have campaigns about regenerative organic agriculture and legalizing psychedelic therapy on our labels. Um, it's why we have six cosmic principles that guide us in everything that we do. So the six cosmic principles are that we tell ourselves to work hard and grow, to do right by our customers, um, to treat employees like family, uh, being fair to our suppliers, treating the earth like home because it is, and giving and funding what's right. We donate about 30% of our annual revenue to environmental and social causes. That's huge. Um, as I mentioned, we're also an organic and fair trade company, and we've started the regenerative organic certification to promote regenerative ag. So a lot of things that we do in our operations and our supply chains um, that I think would be considered good climate action and you know, we, if you want to learn more, we share about it on our website and our annual report and, our, and at conferences. Um, but in addition to like those broader regenerative ag scopes, we have an internal green team that I mentioned I, I coach here this year. And um, when I'm on, when I put on my green team cap, I have to think about who's on the team. And um, we try to make sure that we have people from the office, as well as folks who are on the production team. Um, you know, we have folks with different educational backgrounds and um, we have to think about how we engage everyone in conversations about the environment and climate. Um, I'll say that in the last year, uh, we lost interest in green team from some of our onsite staff because it was just a lot of work um, to balance like the pandemic and being uh, showing up to work in person and then trying to do green team. And so climate justice looks like, you know, checking in with folks to make sure that they can still remain on green team and, and supporting them however we can as the organizers and the co-chairs. Um, it looks like making sure that, for example, this week, Earth Week flyers are translated in Spanish and that we have environmental films with Spanish subtitles because a lot of our um, employees, um, their primary language is Spanish. Uh, I'll just keep it short, but these seem like minor solutions, but they do have lasting impacts. And if we're um, talking about climate justice and social justice more broadly in being rooted in equity inclusion, um, we have to first and foremost build trust. 
Thank you so much, both of you. And Kevin, I love that, you know, from the, the brand standpoint specifically, it can, environmentalism and environmental initiatives that we build within our companies can sometimes feel and act as an afterthought. So I love that you're, being, you're able to speak to how Dr. Bronner's has really embedded environmentalism and advocacy into the brand because it shouldn't be an afterthought, right? It should very much be embedded into the ethos of how we build our green initiatives and our green marketing um, and, you know, the, the purpose of why we're building what we're building. So I love that example. And I wonder if both of you could talk about or I guess for a little bit of context, something that we come across at IE a lot, particularly in you know our infancy days when we were just starting out, was a tremendous amount of criticism and accountability that we wanted to have for brands when it came to claiming protection for both people and the planet. Narrative is super important for pushing for progress and we have historically all heard advocacy lump people on the planet together, right? Like protect people on the planet. We've always heard of that, but have never felt as though the people part was ever truly brought to the forefront of the conversation. So where we see this manifesting today is in things like sustainability reports. Something we talk about a lot is that sustainability reports might do a really good job of curating data points and having a lot of great information that's helping us understand how our businesses can push for progress within their own scopes, but don't always do such a great job of speaking to how that data is helping them understand how to advocate for people. Because ultimately, all of our production systems touch people in our supply chains and even within our own internal teams, Kevin, like you were touching on too. So I wonder if we could use um, maybe one of the hottest sustainability metrics around right now, I would say maybe carbon neutrality. We hear, you know, a huge goal of a lot of brands right now is to hit net zero. Like we want to be net zero by 2020, et cetera, right? And this is a climate action that's really important. But what are some examples of how we can use that commitment to really unpack and amplify and center climate justice and help educate our customers our employees, our teams, so that we can collectively understand how something like that translates to truly protecting people and the planet. Kevin, I think you should go. We'll mix this up a bit. Okay. <laughs> you go yeah. first. Well, I was just going to, yeah, just say that, you know, let's, I think companies have to be very honest with themselves about where they are making impact. Um, it's super easy these days for companies to buy carbon credits, which are not always totally verified even, um, and claim net zero and carbon neutrality. And, um, you know, carbon, finding carbon solutions isn't always just planting trees, even though um, we know that like dy dynamic agroforestry is a huge solution. And, and that's where Dr. Bronner's, um, you know, that's our play because we do have agricultural supply chains, but, um, I think it's important for companies to ask, like, are, are your efforts just passing off the burden to people doing ground on the ground work? And what are ways that companies can fund efforts that um, directly relate to the ways that they are polluting this planet? Just kind of put it there. And, and I think that question is really important to ask. Every, everyone should be asking that question. So I'm going to go back to specificity and um, thank you for that, Kevin. I, I absolutely agree. I think there's a lot of different angles to this question. And uh, for this particular question, I'm going to lean on the intellectual capital collectively at ASBC and how they fuse. And you'll hear me use the word fuse more so than any intersection, but how they fuse the work of advocacy and policy and our elected leaders with the work we're doing with businesses and whatever the focus is, but specifically on climate. I'm going to give you an example of something that happened uh, to a community of color. I won't name them, but it's a community of color located near a body of water. And the local officials, um, and this is also an example of sort of that white savior trend we've often seen in the power dynamics of this country, the uh, elected officials decided that the community of color needed renewable energy. Now, on the surface, that's a great 
determination. We want to see more renewable energy. And so they implemented a program bringing in, uh, I believe they were windmills for renewable energy into the community. They did not work with the community in this process and this planning. And what happened is big, um, I guess they were ships. Uh, they, they ended up getting the windmills from Europe, which is kind of a trend. And in bringing them into the community, they were docked there for a long, long time, um, putting both diesel fuel and other contaminants into the water and into the air that were directly affecting this community to get to the implementation of renewable energy. And the this is a case study. You can look at it. Um, it's, it's extremely interesting. But the community said, we support renewable energy in our community, but work with us on the process. Work between the local elected officials and even the broader state and national officials that might have been involved in this decision, but no longer have this savior attitude. We have to create solutions that are co-created, co-authored, and, and include those that are impacted the most. And that doesn't mean that anyone is left out. People of all color and all backgrounds belong at the table. But if we don't recreate the systems of the process, we could be just making more problems as opposed to finding solutions. And so I will always go to process and co-creation and co-authorship as we approach all of our climate solutions. Thank you so much for that, Val and Kevin, both of you. I, def I think that you, you both kind of touched on this idea of listening and making sure that when we are building solutions and, you know, Kevin, you kind of touched on, you know, from the business side too, building all of these initiatives and asking that really important question, you know, are we actually in, are our initiatives being built in such a way that they're actually informed by what Val was touching on, which is, you know, that reciprocal relationship of how can we do this together? How can we inform what the solution needs to look like based on what a community needs, based on what a place needs, because there is no one size fits all. So if your initiatives or your campaigns are being built on a one size fits all solution, you are going to fail. You need to work alongside local representatives that can help you understand what local communities and lands need. So thank you both so much for touching on that. I think that's super important important place to start because that's that early, you know, assessment stage of what are we even planning to do and how are we going to execute and who can we lean on and amplify and center. That is the initial stage of centering people in the initiatives that you're building. So thank you both so much for touching on that. Next up, we do have uh, a few words from a very special guest that we're going to play for everyone via video. We're really excited. So, you know, everyone, please feel free to take out your, your notepads if you haven't already, because we've already said so many wonderful things. And I'm going to pass it on over to Isaac, who's going to play us this nice little surprise video. Hi, everyone. I'm Alonda Williams, Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and I'm so sorry that I can't be with you live today. However, I'm really excited to be having a conversation about climate justice, and more specifically, climate justice in action. However, first, I'd like to take just a few moments to elevate some voices, and I'd like to add to this list Adam Toledo and Duante Wright taking a moment to honor these lives, remember their stories, and do what you can to fight for their injustice. Speaking of justice, we are here to have a conversation about right, wrong, how to identify marginalized populations, how to elevate voices that are traditionally not elevated. And one way that B-Lab is doing that is really through our climate collective action. How we got here is a different story. Uh, in 2020, uh, I joined uh, this event, uh, B Corp Climate Leadership Gathering, and that was held in Taos, New Mexico. It was an amazing gathering at another B Corp, and I had a wonderful time meeting wonderful individuals from and leaders from across the B Corp network that are driving this work. But I joined specifically to have a conversation and to do some storytelling to elevate voices and elevate stories that some folks in the room had never heard. You see, this event was traditionally pretty white, very homogeneous group, and despite some outreach, wasn't really able to move the needle on diversifying the event. 
I went and we had lots of conversations on um, lots of different things and how climate really is about the people, y'all. It's really just about how can we make the world sustainable for the human beings that live on it. It focuses on human rights and development, human-centered approach. It targets the most vulnerable people. And we identified that sometimes we don't take the necessary steps to ensure we even know who the marginalized and vulnerable people are. How can we create solutions if we don't know who the solutions are for? So we have lots of conversations around how climate change is affecting individuals, human health, clean water supply, uh, transportation, culture. It is way more than about recycling and net zero. And we really wanted to drive, how do we have this conversation more consistently? We started talking about how youth is a very key, vital, vital population in the climate change conversation. They have the, the, the boots on the ground and the most time invested in the future or lack thereof. And we talked about how even in this area of the conversation, discrimination and inequality often happens. We discussed that the effects of climate change affect individuals and populations very differently. And it hits harder for some than others. For example, 62.5% of Flint, Michigan are black or people of color. 41% live in poverty. However, other areas of Michigan show different aspects. And yet, these are the areas that to this day still do not have clean drinking water. We talked about food deserts. And if you don't know what a food desert is, it's basically living somewhere where you cannot get fresh fruits, vegetables, um, organic grains or meats. They're not accessible. They're not accessible within a certain area. Sometimes it's a mile away. You can't find fresh, clean food. This is a food desert. And populations across the U.S., and populations across the global world often live in a few desert. I asked a question at that event um, of a woman who lived there and I said, when's the last time your kids ate dinner at 7-Eleven, Wawa, um, uh, the gas station? And her response was, my children have never eaten at those places. And I bet that some of you on this call, some of you in this conference, have experienced an opportunity where you that's where you got your dinner. It is some folks' everyday lives. And these are the individuals that we're also asking to help us to work on other issues surrounding climate change. And where is the justice in that? We talk about youth activism and how, again, they're leading the way. We discuss how in climate justice, women are actually the ones leading the way. Socially construct, construct um, rules allow that women are the ones who are on the ground making decisions, making opportunities for their families. They're less likely to migrate or leave the home, culturally speaking. And what do we do whenever we understand that women and youth are more likely to die in natural disasters, which are, as we know, brought on by us. We discuss the unique impact on indigenous communities. Plants and animals that are used for traditional practices or sacred ceremonies become less available. We talked about the vulnerability of and the equity of the elderly, urban populations, veterans, systems impacted individuals, caregivers and caretakers, all with unique needs, unique accountabilities. 
So what is justice anyway? We've gotten very used to equity, diversity, and inclusion. But what really is justice about? Justice takes into account that the system's broken. It takes into account that you can put a Band-Aid, but you really need to do something different to the system if you want long-term sustainable change. I love these pictures because they really just show how maybe if we just give everyone a, a ladder, give everyone the same ladder and it'll be fine. Well, you need more, so we'll give you a larger ladder. But this last one here really shows you that it's not about what we can give individuals. And it's not always about access. It's about correcting the system such that access is equitable for everyone. What can we do to the system? What can you do to systems to make that change? Collectively, we came together with a number of B Corps, and I'm briefly going to just give a really high synopsis of our uh, climate justice playbook for business. This is how the work that we did starting back at that event um, and events prior really led us to drive uh, equity and justice into this conversation such that climate change and justice shouldn't be two separate conversations. This is one conversation. How do we shift the mindset to make sure that the conversations are had in an equitable way? This resource is something that I encourage everyone at the conference to take a look at. It's a guide. It doesn't matter whether you're just curious about climate change, if you're already there and you're super committed, or if you're just not quite sure how this fits onto your Jedi journey, but you wanna learn a little bit more, this is a great place to start. We reach out to, to B Corps in the, in the network that are doing the work, that are leading the way, um, that are taking the charge. And we've also had an opportunity to have conversations with more marginalized populations so that we can better understand what we can do. The work is not done, but we have committed to shifting our mindset to try to have these conversations in a more equitable way, to put justice at the center and people at the forefront of everyone. Making that mindset is not easy. And so we encourage you to have dialogue, to have conversation, to share, to ask questions, but also to be kind to each other. Be empathetic, push yourselves, be comfortable with uncomfort. Welcome uncomfort. If you're too comfortable, you're probably not changing. And so understand that doing something that you've never done before while difficult is really gonna be the only way that we're going to continue to drive and push the needle. I hope that your week has gone amazingly. I trust that you are gonna have an awesome time listening and watching and asking questions of the individuals um, on our panel today. And again, I ask you the question, what can you do to drive the change in your areas? What uncomfortabilities are you willing to put yourself into vulnerably in order to really create the change that you want to see in the world, individually, at work, with your friends and your family. There's space for us all. Thanks again for listening, and I'll chat with you soon. All right, such wonderful words from Dr. Alanda, and that actually is going to send us into some really great questions that I think will piggyback off of a lot of the beautiful things that Dr. Alanda was just able to paint for us. I, I wonder if we could kind of keep that momentum going from the conversation that we just had there. And, and Val, I'd love to turn to you on this one. Earlier in the chat, we touched on how important it is that we not separate our environmental initiatives from social justice. And Dr. Londa made a great case for this as well just now. So when we think about how out of balance proportions of power, the distribution of power is today and has been in terms of, you know, we think about assets owned and accessibility to economic growth. How can we use the data that we have and our stories to explain this imbalance of equity? And what are you really focused on today that you think can be replicated by others so that we can push for change? 
So now you've uh, kind of hit on the core of the work I do every day. And before I answer, I just want to say um, what Dr. Alondra's presentation it really resonated with me. And I have been on many Indian tribal reservations throughout the nation where the most nutritious meals are available at the gas station. So all joking aside, it's, it's more common than you might think. Um, I also want to let everyone know that my computer just told me it's going to do some sort of reset and I don't know how to stop it. So if I suddenly am lost, you'll know why. Um, but so one of the reasons I um, accepted the position when offered at East Bay Community Foundation, and I think there's a few people uh, who are DAP holders. I know, well, I know Rosalind's out there, um, is because of the work they do with mission alignment of investments. And we cannot have this discussion without thinking about where the majority of our assets are held, how they are invested, and the impact they have um, nationally and globally. And one of the flaws, I would say, and I say this boldly, one of the flaws in the way um, philanthropy is often set up is that approximately 10% of endowments and foundations actually are granted out into the communities and into the good work that they are focused on. And about 90% of those assets are invested so that they can keep uh, the corpus going. And it makes sense. It's a logical um, structure. However, a focus on mission alignment, whether it be climate or racial justice or gender equity, is absolutely embedded into the work they do in the community in that 10%. However, 90% of our philanthropic assets are invested in the market. And if you do the math, those actually have the potential to have more impact, whether it be positive or negative. I feel that there's been a black hole around transparency in what our investments are actually doing. And as an example, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> we, we will come back to Val because I think it would be great to hear that example. But just moving over to Kevin for a second, you know, and still keeping the momentum of what we've been talking about. We talk a lot about business accountability at IE and we're talking about solutions and change and progress. But something that I think when we're working with our clients that we find to be particularly helpful, and maybe you can you know, ease the souls of some of our attendees today, we find that most of our clients are grappling with the same things. And there's that anxiety around, oh no, are we the worst business ever? Are we the only ones grappling with these tough questions? And the answer is usually no, you're not the only one that's doing that. So can in an effort to share, you know, some common struggle, are there any tough questions that your teams have had to ask yourselves when looking at centering action in social and environmental justice? Are there any areas that you have found that as a business, it's, it's really challenging so that we can kind of work together to dismantle that? Yeah, certainly. And thanks, thanks for the question. I think, um, well, I, again, I think I'll kind of highlight some of the things that Dr. Bronner's has done um, because I, well, I, I enjoyed the conversation around power and, and where businesses and organizations have sway. And so where Dr. Bronner's has control is like we have control, control over supply chains and um, pay. So like Dr. Bronner's, we cap our exact salary pay at no more than five times the lowest paid employee. Um, we are a fair trade company. So we impose premiums on ourselves on certain uh, raw materials and um we're engaged in regenerative ag. We we all we know just it's it's pretty clear that this is where we can have impact. And um, I th I think your question gets at like what are other things that companies like Dr. Bronner's can do? And 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 sometimes the answer is like we we don't know. Sometimes we just but we know the right direction to take, and so we just do it. Um, and I also want to say that um, companies have powerful sway in their local communities and something that we haven't been doing well, but we're starting to do is to engage in local politics and talking with our politicians 
um, to, to insert conversations around climate justice and environmental justice in climate action plan updates. Um, you know, as I mentioned, like Dr. Bronner's, you know, we're, we're very active in the global community, but we haven't been doing very well in our local communities. And so um, that was something I think we were, we sort of knew, but um, then we we're like, we, didn't, we, ne we never had experience engaging um, at the local level and the path forward was just to dive in and, and just do it. So um, I, I think Dr. Bronner's with many other businesses, we, we, there's a lot of insecurities about like how we should approach climate justice, how we approach climate action, um, social justice. And, and the, at the end of the day, it's just like dive in, you know, you're going to make mistakes along the way and, and that's okay as long as you center people and, and um, center what folks are saying in your communities that, you know, that's the path forward. I'm back. Sorry about that. <laughs> wow, that was actually perfect timing. Val, just to catch you up to speed, you know, Kevin was talking to us about some of the you know, the things that brands and teams have to grapple with uh, in order to push the change. And Kevin, I appreciate, you know, that moment of accountability for you and your teams. None of our businesses are perfect and we're trying so hard to push for progress. And shifting back to Val, um, Val, I think you were about to share an example with us. I would love if you could just pick up from where you left off. Thank you. And I need to have my children who are much younger show me how to stop uh, automatic updates on my laptop. I so apologize for that. Um, so what I was about to say that I think is so very important is understanding how our money, whatever money that is, aligns with our mission. And just as a quick example, um, at East Bay Community Foundation, we're not a 501c4, we're a 501c3, but we're allowed to do certain advocacy around initiatives, not politics per se. And so last year, we made a big decision to put some money into organizations that were supporting a, an initiative on the California ballot that was to help uh, with funds for education in the East Bay and other um, priority communities in California. We were really involved. Meanwhile, in our portfolio, we have money with traditional fund managers because we're managed by a fairly big bulge bracket firm and there are lots of things like indices and ETFs and money markets where there's sort of a plain vanilla asset allocation and there's not a lot of transparency. So you might not know where your money is or what certain fund managers might be doing. And that's what I'm really pushing for when it comes to climate and racial equity in our portfolios. So we put this pocket of money, very hard earned you know, money from East Bay into advocacy for this educational initiative. We later found out that one of the funds we are invested in, where we have millions of dollars invested in our portfolio, put $7 million into the opposition of that proposition. And there was no way we would have known, except there were some people that did some digging, and this sort of transparency has to be called for. for. Now, that's a negative example. I want to give a positive example. When I was at SVC, I had the honor of meeting Kristen Hall, and she is the fund manager at NIA Impact. And I just lift her up all the time because it's been a struggle for her to get on platforms. I've pushed for her on our own platform. We are investing into Nia. And this isn't a marketing campaign for her. Trust me, it's just an example of she invests in global equities and she actually takes on um, activism, shareholder activism on behalf of her clients. And recently um, she took on Tesla because even though Tesla is a great company for climate and we want to electrify and reduce the carbon footprint, she found that there were wage gaps between their women and their people of color, as well as a lack of board diversity. So rather than divesting, she pushed them to make those changes. And so, and by the way, she's 45% over benchmark on her investments. And so we talk about data. Data historically hasn't been used when there's an assumption that if you're investing for social change, you're somehow taking a concessionary hit on your financial return. And so where I like to use data is to show that when we invest in women fund managers and BIPOC fund managers, time over time, the data shows you're actually making more of a return because of the focus on social responsibility. And this particular example, she was able to maintain a position focused on climate change, but also add to it, you know, like we're talking about, not just do it in a silo 
add the board diversity, add the wage gap attention so that we're looking at an entire footprint of, a, of an equitable economy. And again, I go back to we need to look continually at where our dollars are invested. And just one quick shout out when we're talking about data. When I was at SVC and I think Mike is on and Isaac's on, we went through a rebranding. And part of that rebranding was really taking a, a position of what do we stand for? And you can't imagine how thrilled I was this week when I saw that they took a stand on prison, uh, uh, the uh, private prison industry, and they um, did something that actually got national attention and caused um, uh, the bank to withdraw from the underwriting. That's the power of data put into movements, whether it's Kristen and her fund with shareholder activism or SVC with Isaac and his team, you know, really call And ASVC was part of that calling out the uh, bank this week on the private prison. So when we take it all together again, we can cause, we can create movements that are so powerful with that power of data and understanding and transparency. Thank you so much for that, Val. And we're glad that you were able to make it back to us here. Um, wow, I'm so, I love that we were able to touch on so many things. It's tough to kind of fit it all in in just an hour, but I feel like we've talked about a lot of really great solutions. Val, to your point about data, you know, I think that there are, there's so much to be done both in big and small ways. And I, I hope that people walk away really thinking about their own personal work scopes and what that could look like. One additional example I'll give was working with a recent client. Um, I won't say who, but a recent client um, that was trying to figure out how to push for progress from an HR perspective. And in hiring demographics, there was resistance against combining um, when reporting demographics, there was resistance against showcasing how many uh, community, how many different demographics we had in terms of background, like um, ethnic, ethnic background, and then we had um, sex, gender. There were all these different charts showcasing what their teams were being comprised of, but a lot of resistance around combining that data to build an intersectional point of view, because obviously the numbers get a little, you know, unfavorable when you do that. And I think that that's, you know, a really small way that we can use data to showcase where we need to be amplifying unheard voices, along with the examples that you shared as well. So for everyone here, we have talked about so many solutions, big and small. We've talked about unpacking how your business's eco-initiatives intersect with social justice and the importance of your company and your teams really being on the same page about that. We've talked about, Kevin, you touched on employee buy-in, really empowering our teams through language and culture and point of view and making sure that they have personal agency over the initiatives that your company is, is you know, engaging in and ensuring that our initiatives are working closely with local groups, avoiding saviorism so that we can make sure our solutions are informed by local needs and not potentially creating more harm that we might not be aware of. And we talked about critically assessing what our investments are supporting. Thank you so much for bringing that to the forefront, Val, and using data to really showcase that we are in fact stronger when we invest in empowering our communities. So I know we only have a few minutes and we'd love to take a few questions if anyone would like to pop them in the chat. And while we're waiting for just a few questions to come through, I wonder if Kevin and Val, if you could briefly share with us, you know, it's it's been a wild past 12 months that's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster for everyone. And I think it's really important that we all maintain this work in a personal, personally sustainable way. So I would love to ask how how you are claiming joy for yourself this this Earth Month. I am, um, I'm claiming joy in the work that we do in my community and my culture and understanding our relationship with the earth. And I would add that the, the discussion right now um, around racial equity and racial justice and climate equity and climate justice is good. Um, but I like to add the word thriving. I don't want to see just justice and equity. I want to see us thrive. I want to see us be much better. Um, and when I was at SVC, uh, we started to use a word, again, as part of the rebranding, a regenerative. And that really means making the world a better place, not just sustainability, not just responsibility, but actually how do we heal? And I feel that all the work, all of these organizations today and all of the audience, what we're focused on really is that 
ability to regenerate and thrive. And I just want to say thank you to all the work that you all do to see how many people are on this today. And just knowing that we do have a movement, that we have a collaboration, we're not working in silos. That gives me joy as I um, celebrate your day today. That's really beautiful, Val. Thanks for sharing. And similarly, I think in this, in the work that we do, we have to, I have to remind myself to model what we're trying to fight for. And, and that is bringing joy and connection with the community. So what brings me joy is um, connecting with my community, my friends, making sure I have time for them. Um, and also making sure I have my connection with the earth. Uh, you know, I, I make sure to schedule in time to go hiking. I make sure to schedule in time to um, chat with my friends, to hang out with them. Um, because, you know, if, if I'm not doing those things, then like, what am I fighting for? I'm, I'm, I have to fight for joy. I have to fight for um, a connection with a beautiful planet that I'm trying to create and to this work, we have to model that. And, and, and by modeling it, we can really believe in it. Thank you both for that. And I think that there's one question here that might be a great way to wrap um, since we only have a few minutes here. And we have a question from Steve. Thank you so much, Steve. Can businesses take a lead by calling for towns and cities to adopt the same regenerative measurable metrics. Oh, I just lost the question. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's see here. I think when we hop in the chat, it pushes me all the way down. But I think that the question is mostly asking if there is any synergy that we can be building um, between our businesses and our local cities around how we can measure regenerative uh, progress together. And if anyone has any examples of that, I think that would be beautiful to share. I, th I think um, working with community foundations uh, and, and other nonprofits in the communities and, and then these collaborations with businesses, uh, I learned about so many businesses when I was at SDC that have solutions that might be in fintech or other areas that seem unrelatable to a small community and yet just the ability to connect um, these kind of unlikely partners and work together. And I do believe that our ecosystem models um, that will really demonstrate solutions will probably start at the community level and then be replicated um, nationally and globally. Yeah, appreciate that comment, Val. Uh, absolutely agree that um, a lot of the change happens at the local level. And that's something that Dr. Bronner's is finally starting to understand, which is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we are starting to engage with our city council members um, and we are trying to insert conversations about regenerative metrics and principles and um, climate justice and environmental justice because we do have that sway, we do have that platform. And um, we understand that a lot of folks in our communities don't have that space. So we do see it that, that we need to, because we're at the table, we need to have those conversations with local policymakers. And, um, and of course we have to also, um, for those of us in power, local businesses, um, we have to make sure that we are meeting with our local um, community members. And, and that's something we are doing. We're meeting and hearing. Um, we get a lot of requests actually from local, from local community members to, to see if we can advocate on their behalf because we have that spot at the table. So we are glad to do that. And so to, to, to the question, yes, businesses can absolutely take a lead by doing that as an example. I think that both of, both of you, you know, adding to that was so great. And I, I want to reiterate kind of just pulling some thoughts from, from both of you collectively that it is so important that when we approach these conversations, we understand that even though we do have incredible playbooks, plug, <laughs> even though we have incredible playbooks that are helping us get started and ask really valuable questions, ultimately the way you fill in those questions is going to be hyper-specific to your local community. So you're probably never going to hop into a panel discussion and walk away with exactly what you need to do. That's where you come in and do the work to answer some of the valuable questions that people like Kevin and Val are bringing to the table. 
what are the organizations and groups and activists and advocates in your local area and what are they saying that your company or that your local area needs, that your company needs to change? And Kevin, you touched on that really beautifully. How can you use your position, your assets, your resources to support and push for that progress? So thank you both so much for adding and touching on so much within just the span of an hour. This was a beautiful conversation, and we're so happy to have had the opportunity to build community with everyone today. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for today's important discussion on climate injustice. And a special thank you to our wonderful speakers for joining us on today's episode of the Just and Sustainable Economy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. ASBN's vision is a sustainable economy that is stakeholder-driven, regenerative, just, and prosperous. Visit us at asbnetwork.org and consider joining the movement. I'm Isaac Graves. Thanks for listening.